Hello everyone, welcome to From Nerd and Nothing Ontological Oxymorons. I'm your host, Joel Bouchard, a doctoral student in psychology, and with me today is Mr. Norman Gayford, a professor of English and philosophy. If there's a topic you'd like us to cover on the show, feel free to email us at fromnowhertonothingpodcast at gmail.com or contact us on our Facebook page. Each of us lives a unique and profoundly miraculous life by its mere existence. Some of us have photographic recall of this time, while others have a much spottier memory. And while our recollections of events doubtlessly change and even disappear with time, we still understand that something happened. We know that there is an objective history, even if everyone's subjective interpretations of it make the truth murky and uncertain. Today, we'll revisit prior conversations about temporality by focusing on the past. <laughs> that's that's very nice. I could almost see you doing the the uh, one of the British uh, documentaries. <laughs> you just needed the accent. I would love to. Yeah, <laughs> I, I wish I had a British accent. I'd take over for David Attenborough, mm-hmm. just uh, narrate all the things, but. Yeah, so um, we 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 took a break last week um, to talk about something different. But before that, we had looked at black and white holes and all the weird things that happens to time. Uh, yeah, time in those regions. So we're going to do a three part series here, looking at the past, the present, and the future, <laughs> which is um, just sort of cheating because we already did an episode on time, you know, years ago. And we but just, there's more to say. Yeah, yeah. So we want to expound upon that it. That was so. in the past. <laughs> <So we're>, yeah. <laughs> it's in the past, so it didn't exist according to some <laughs> philosophical traditions. But yeah, yeah. So can you provide us with a, a colloquial definition of, of what the past is? Yes, a colloquial definition. If we put together, you just go through a bunch of dictionary de- and and look at it, is uh, things that once happened that are no longer accessible. They are behind us. There's a great bunch of spatial metaphors that are bound up with all of this. Mm. Uh, so the, the, the past of events, actions, uh, objects that are no longer uh, accessible to us. Yeah, and Rovelli, you know, talks about, in White Holes, talks about how, yeah, you know, we always us physicists conceptualize time going from the bottom to the top. I don't know why. Maybe that's because the way geologists do it, because the lower layers of, of the yeah. planet are below. Yeah. But uh, I think in our episode on time, one of our episodes, we talked about how different cultures have conceptualized temporality in different ways, left to right, right to left, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, bottom up, and even some more abstract sort of ways. So it's just fascinating that something is as abstract as time you know there's we talk about so many abstract things on the show i don't know if there's one more abstract than time i think not nor 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 one that is equally more the anchor to everything else that how we live yeah because god you you sort of had you provided some some personal attributes you know meaning you can think of something that has some subjective thing to you knowledge you know yeah. is, is something you store in your brain time is something that you really can't ascribe those qualities to in no, any sort we of we know it exists well so many people I, I was reading back through uh some of my favorite of uh, pop uh, pop culture or other science for lay people books some that i've used in teaching some not that i pulled off my shelf i was just sitting delightedly taking notes and 
and and almost every one of the physicists, Ro- Rovelli and and Lee Smolin, who was writing in the in the nineteen nineties, uh, will all say that the moment you start talking about time, that's when it gets vague and un- the, It's it's sort of like the, this this classic thing you know, when people were trying to. Uh, police the internet and some people still try to and this or and even before there was internet what's pornography well i'll know it when i see it hmm. or or what's what's something obscene well i'll know it when i see it what's time well i know it <laughs> but i can't tell you what it is but you know we don't see it <laughs> yeah 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 it's one of those things where we do we all know what it is because or we, we think we do we live in in the flow of it right at it, least subjectively. At least subjectively, uh, but there are some people who say it's not a flow at all. Right, but the second you're right, the second we start talking about it, it gets so complex. So, I think we should start by um, can you recap for us the presentist and the eternalist notions of the past? Yes, the the present presentist excuse me notion is that the only thing of real value is what's happening now. That the past is behind us or the past is in, in some other place. And, and even when we think about the past, we're bringing all of our own attitudes towards, so we're really not accessing the past. Uh, that, that now is the only major concern. Uh, and certainly the only thing that can help us toward, help us toward the future. The eternalists uh, say that everything exists Everything, everywhere, all the time. <laughs> it's a wonderful movie, and 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 so, as you would guess from its name, everything is perpetually around us and therefore accessible to us if we think our way through it, and and become sensitive to what's there. And and I sometimes find myself more in the eternalist. It's zone than I do in the present. So. Yeah, there's definitely but, compelling arguments for both positions, you know, because when you think about the presentist um, and this sort of view that, listen, all you have is, is the present moment, right? You can't, you cannot go back to the past. You cannot go into the future, you know, and we'll talk about time travel a little sure, bit later, sure. but, but for all <laughs> intents and purposes, right? It, those things are, are inaccessible to us. So, now, obviously, we can't know the future. We can plan for it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we're, we're kind of recapping what Rovelli talked about in White Holes. But the past, we do have access to, right? We have memories of the past. But but a presentist would really say, but you're not experiencing the past. You're experiencing you, how you view the past now. And there's neuropsychology to back that up. Right. Mm-hmm. When I was looking at doing my biological basis of behavior class, right? Your memories, you know, your hippocampus is sort of the gateway to long-term memory, right? So when you learn something, it resides in the hippocampus. And and even for a couple of days after you learn something, um, if you're asked to recall it, the hippocampus is what lines up, lights up. But after a few days, um, if you retain something, which is a big if, you lose a lot of information, but if you retain something, it moves to a separate part of the brain. But if you have to recall that thing again later, it has to go back through the hippocampus. And when it goes through the hippocampus, it is subjected to a coloring based upon what is currently going on in your brain Mm -hmm. when you're recalling that memory. That's a wonderful uh, 
description. So the presentist paradigm holds some sway. Yes. And, and for reference, we're going way, way back talking about these guys. We're ancient Greeks, right? Parmenides and Heraclitus, right? So yes. we're, we're thousands of years ago, but there is some uh, presentience of, of modern views of time. I'm, I'm going to take what you just said and, and, and just so I can put it on the table of the conversation, whether we get to it now or we'll, we'll get to it later. But what you just said, we're a thousand years ago or 2000 years, but, but we're, but we are a thousand years mm. ago. So our language, and this is called relationalism. And, and this is where some people talk about past, present, and future insist that we, we couch ourselves in our language. And you know, I'm a language person. So this is, so, so, so let's, so someone says, uh, they're writing a piece of history and they say, Napoleon, gets on his horse and readies for the battle of fill in the blank. It's present tense. He gets on his horse, which means he hasn't yet had that battle. But we're in the future looking back. But history written in the present tense is always much more engaging hmm. to people as if we're in the moment now. The as if is the pretend and there's the hippocampus coloring things again. So, we, oh yeah, yeah, let's, 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 we're riding with Napoleon. All right. Then we're engaging in this grand imaginative experience. Uh, and, and the eternalist would say, well, everything is there. Napoleon, it, it's there. We still remember Napoleon. Even if we didn't remember him, it, it happened. Uh, but what you just described is sort of like going into having somebody go into the stacks of a library into a rare book room, find the object, bring it out to you, but you have to put on gloves in order to open up the rare papers. I've done this for research. It's a, a fascinating process. And so you're not actually touching the medium, but you are reading the medium, but you're going to go, well, you just want to touch that paper. <laughs> so the tactile thing. But so the, the past is accessible to us through language and through imagination and through factuality. Uh, but it's one step removed. Right. Yeah. So we can, we can think about it that way. And as a matter of fact, that's what helped me. I think I've talked about on the show, but in community college, you were my favorite professor, as is <laughs> evidenced by the fact that I, I don't do podcasts with any of the other ones, right? Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm lucky. There was I'm another professor, lucky. right, that that um, not a lot of people liked because he was very difficult and he taught history. And, mm -hmm. and the way that I got through the class and, and did well in it was was by not taking notes, but but listening to history as as a story, right, and being engaged with mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. And there's, there's value to that, for sure, because that caters to how the human brain learns and experiences and retains information. And so therefore, that's how you have access to past things, whether it's experiences or learning or, or whatever. But it's, it's a flawed system, mm -hmm. right? Because like we talked about, you know, if, if I'm imagining Napoleon getting on his horse, right? I've never seen Napoleon in real life, right? There's no photographs, there's paintings. And <laughs> it's funny that you pick Napoleon because actually paintings of Napoleon in my mind tend to be more 
diverse and contradictory than almost any other historical figure, right? Mm. You see a lot of other historical paintings and you go, okay, I, well, I can pick out George Washington if you show me 20 different paintings. Napoleon, you go, uh, this guy looks different from painting to painting, right? So if I'm envisioning this, I, I'm putting my own picture of what Napoleon looks like, my own picture of what his horse looks like, of of the terrain, of the soldiers, of of the context. Everything is being filled in. And there can be a more or less accurate way of doing that depending on how much um, reliable information we have from the past. <laughs> but like you said, it's always at least at least one step removed from actually being in the past. And so that's where it separates from the eternalist viewpoint, right? Because yeah. the eternalists are saying that, no, that's out there somewhere still, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what other philosophy or science is basic to our understanding of the past? Oh, well, there, there, there's there's a grand tour. I mean, it, uh, and, and, not, and not in chronological order, because I, I, I don't enjoy chronological order. <laughs> uh, and St. Augustine, uh, who, who was one of the people who said, you know what time is, you know what the past is until you try to define it. And he was wrestling with, with the words on it. The present is real, the past or the future are not. That, that's a philosophical position. He didn't necessarily establish it, but he certainly worked it. But you think about it, we'll just put that on the side, but the, the, the past is not real. <laughs> I know a lot of mental health counselors and 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 people who uh, are living with uh, which is every single one of us on the planet with, with mental health um, needs and issues and who would say, oh yes, the past can be very real. Don't 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 buy that. But that, that's what he says. Um, D.C. Williams, who is a, a much less known uh, philosophical writer, says that there's the myth of passage. Uh, uh, as if as if time is a stream or a, a sea and and so what william says okay that's great it sounds like uh and he gets into measurement well we can measure an object with a ruler well we can measure time can't we with it with it no because it's time trying to measure time it's a device hmm. that's built to register it and trying to measure it at the same time so he says what is the speed of time hmm. uh, which is a marvelous question. What is the speed of the past? Yeah, this, again, you you you're talking about these guys, and I have, I have things popping up in my head. That one makes me think of of Rovelli again, talking about how um, you know in loop quantum gravity, space is made up of its own particles, right? In every other paradigm, yes. right? Yes, space is is this canvas that all of physics is is painted on. But in loop quantum gravity, space is part of everything else, right? And so this yeah. idea of, of measuring time, well, it's time, measuring time and space and time are the same thing. So it comes into that same conceptual issue, right? For the human brain to, to wrap its, its mind around, right? Yeah, because it takes us to the idea, well, we talk about the past so glibly. Well, but what? The rate of change, uh, and William said this, and, and a number of others have worked this idea, the rate of change is not the change itself. Hmm. So what's the past? I mean, that, if I get into a hall of mirrors, I just said, so what's the past? Now it's, what did it do? It went down the conveyor belt? It did it. <laughs> yeah. it's, 
has has anything changed since then? Well, sure. The air pressure has changed slightly. The, the your facial exp- expressions have changed. My my voice timbre has changed. And this is what gets me with with um, Augustine too, because when you were saying that, I was smiling the whole time because I was thinking about um, when we were talking about Whitehall's the Penrose diagram. Mm-hmm. And so I mm-hmm. mentioned it then, I, and I encouraged you know the audience to go look it up if you haven't. Now now is the time. This is the second. The second morning, right? This Penrose diagram, if you look at it, um, and the way it's split into this sort of X shape, and how there's there's light cones and time cones, right? So, yep. and he uses, you know, we talked about in the in the instance of a black hole and a white hole. So space, how space is is sort of bent, but space and time are one thing, right? So, okay, space becomes infinitely dense. Um, and, and you cross a horizon and you can't recross it. Well, on the same Penrose diagram in a different direction, the same holds true for time. And so the present is that spot where you exist, but the past, right, is like a white hole, right? All of this stuff has come out of it, but you can't go back, right? And the future is something that you're being endlessly sucked into, but you have no access and there's an information paradox, right? Where you, you, yeah. you, there's a firewall where you can't <laughs> see how you have you can, you can assess probabilities, but you you can't see it. And yeah. so you think about that, right? Through modern physics and and how space and time are one thing, and you know on the surface value, Augustine's claim, you know, hey, of course the past exists. Nobody would say the past doesn't exist. Well, then all of a sudden you look at that and you go, well, is the present moment all that there is? You know, maybe there isn't a past. Maybe there isn't a past. Yeah. yeah. Because I think then that's where it gets uncomfortable, right? Yeah. Because, because, and and I think people listening say, well, there they go again. Now we go, okay. (laughs) So, so feet on the ground uh, for a moment uh, uh, as we continue the conversation. Uh, Of course. I've had a past. Anyone listening, every one of us has. Even if we lost our memories, hmm. we have a past that other people have witnessed. If if everyone we know is gone, we were still here, but nobody knows it. So the the past is all right. The the presence of someone let's say if we stay with the human view for a moment but it's like the, what's the sound of a, a, a tree falling in the woods if nobody's there yeah well it generates a sound wave we've talked about this, right. right but but if if nobody ever knew you were there you were still there there's still a you somewhere in that 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 universal book or yeah and so this is where it gets real interesting right with this idea of what is the reality of the past right is basically perspective right on subjective versus objective Uh, you've been talking so far about the the objectivity of the past right so you exist the things that have happened to you exist subjectively i think it becomes much more easy to make the argument that perhaps the past doesn't exist based off of um, what purpose it serves, right? I think that we have this view that our past influences our present and future course. Certainly in 
um, you know, 20th century psychology, right? When, when behaviorism dominated, um, you know, there was, there was determinism in psychology of, of both sides. We had gen- genetic determinists who say, oh, well, your genes determine your entire life course. So, you know, there's really no free will. And then you yeah. had behaviorists who said, oh, your genes have absolutely no influence at all. Um, it's just conditioning. So whatever your environment is, you're, you're determined to be a certain way, right? And in the 21st century, we saw how these things really started to fall apart. Genetic determinism through scientific experimentation, where we had advanced um, experimental and statistical methods to suss out just how much of a role certain genes were playing versus epigenetic factors versus environmental factors in people's behavior. And behaviorism, um, you know, is something that never should have dominated, right? Because you and I talked <laughs> really? off, you and I yeah. talked off the air about it. I don't know if we talked on it or not, but there's um, there's this disease called Korsakoff's disease, right? Where if, um, extreme alcoholics will develop a sort of dementia, and what will happen is you'll have brain damage to parts of your brain that cause you to lose your memory, and what will happen is you will start to engage in spontaneous confabulation which is a yeah, that term. wonderful term yeah. but what happens is you basically just start having false memories and you start living as if those things really happen and so in that case right you're present and by default your future are no longer determined by your past in the same way that somebody of a sound mind would be now that's an extreme example, but I think that even for regular people, right? Somebody who has a life-changing religious event or who, you know, starts engaging in a cognitive behavioral therapy technique or something like that are able to noticeably alter the course of their present and future despite the fact that they have the same past as the person who was engaging in a different course, a mm-hmm. different direction, mm-hmm. right? And so from that, from that viewpoint, right, you start to wonder, well, how real is the past in terms of the effects that it has on our present and future versus how much weight do we give it unnecessarily, right? What's stopping me from choosing to do or be someone different than my past would otherwise allow me to be? Right? That's a marvelous ontological question. <laughs> And I and I and I, I think about it, and 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 I won't not, not you personally, but for for any of us, what's stopping us? If we just say it's our genes, we're not we're not going deeply enough. It's behaviorism, but that's not. I don't think that's that's uh, comprehensive enough either, and, uh, because nobody can t- this. Nobody can tell us what our past experience was people might have the the documentation or the the visual whatever it is a a video an audio or something we said or maybe a clip from a moment in our lives and but this brings me to my my wife had the this uh, very large extended family and and there was a series of 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 cousins aunts and um no cu- cousins and these were very old ladies and they had nine nine brothers and sisters and three of them were left 
and and they were telling a story about their childhood, and they got really upset at each other about it. And 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 one particularly very spikily said to the other, "That's not what's happened. It's my life, Esther, not yours. I was there, <laughs> you know." And 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 I changed the name, but the, but the the point is, I think that's really accurate. Hmm. We, my brother and I, can we talk frequently about the past and the present and the future, and we, and we, but well, we, we reminisce about a story that happened or something, and, and we tell completely different versions of it. Mm. the The essence of it is it happened around this time, <laughs> and most of the people we remember being there were there, and it comes, and, and that's it. Then it then it veers off. So is his past less accurate than mine? No. So there are many pasts. Then we have the factuality, the back to the objective, which was where I was lingering just to be a pain. And and, and there are documentable. We're documented when we born. We're documented when we die. Our our birth is our past. Except that there's still some people in a generation where they didn't all have birth certificates, and even some people in a newer generation didn't have a birth certificate, or the birth certificate was wrong. Uh, a, 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 a little girl in preschool uh, gets a report card. That's already in her past. But the name on the report card is not her accurate name. So, it ha- it's, so if somebody were to look at that, if for some reason it's not going to happen, but if somebody were to look at that, they say, oh, this person was this person. Were they both people? Was there a name change in the family? What was going on here? A historian would look at that, and so there would be a, a crack in the glass mm. that, that fragments what we think of so simply as the past. Right. Yeah, no, that's great. And that's that's what I was trying to convey in the intro mm-hmm. monologue as well, was, was this complexity between the objective past and then the subjective um, view of it. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I, but I interrupted you in the middle of giving us a little bit more philosophical <laughs> or scientific background. Was there other, okay. other guys? Locke, Locke and Bergson. All right, so Locke was talking about duration as, as part of the path, what we mean by the path, the duration of a certain amount of time unmeasured but there okay and and bergson went further and says physical time is spatialized intellectualized but the real thing uh it <laughs> internalization of experience is duration duration is experienced uh, uh is experienced uh, uh is the experience uh the movement of the clock hands uh it's so in in the 1700s and 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 that and this idea still lingers too with people is, is that somehow duration establishes the past. So now's the past. Oh, now's the past. <laughs> See, you know that that would be annoying. It already was, <laughs> and, and and it and it and it may be so, but it doesn't tell us anything. So what do we really mean by the past? Things that happened that we can't touch or things that happened that we can remember but we still can't touch or things from that time that we can touch but aren't the same as they were at that time that they have changed there's still a wall of some kind hmm. uh, but we're we seem to be talking about 
of bubbles of duration, <laughs> not not just an instantiation, an instant of time, and gone. Yeah, yeah, and I think that what makes that difficult, right, is that we perceive life much like a motion picture. And it doesn't matter how much you slow it down. We never see the frame by frame that you see in a movie. Right, right, right. right. And so, um, you know, obviously Locke was, you know, pre-Einsteinian uh, relativity. Yeah, so yeah. they had no conception that time was um, subject to relativistic effects. Um, you know, in a Newtonian world, you, you just assume that time would be the same for everybody in every instance. And so it makes sense to think of duration as being the inherent characteristic of it. It makes you wonder, what would he think if he knew that that was going to be even taken away? You know, where would you go from One would, that, that is fascinating. What If we only had Locke here, what would yeah. Locke? And then we have Bertrand Russell at the turn of the 20th century who says that uh, a memory of an event is not the event itself. And so we've been talking about mm. this. And then we have McTaggart in 1908 who says time is an unreality. We can order events, past, present, or future, uh, or order by earlier than and later than, but that doesn't really tell us anything because space and time does not change. Hmm. And so we have the idea of the lines as you talk about, as you talked about earlier, but that there's no, uh, we go back to Zeno's paradox. There's, there's no, uh, if, if we talked about this once long ago, but if, the idea that, um, if a turtle goes at a certain speed, well, if we can break down to the increments and we break them down to smaller increments, still the turtle doesn't go anywhere because there was no motive. How does the turtle get started? <laughs> this is Zeno's paradox, right? Yeah. So it, there's got to be an initial cause <laughs> for things to get moving. And if you believe that there's no initial cause, then time is simply, simply static. Uh, and then Kant says, Kant, he, he, he used a different word, antinomy, which is a more religious word in some ways, but it's still a, a paradox. Uh, as a contradiction between two beliefs that are each reasonable. I be, Well, I believe that I can experience the past and the present simultaneously. Now, that's perhaps paradoxical. But I think our brains are up to it. <laughs> I can be talking to you and still think about something that happened this morning. Mm. I may not be devoting all the brain power to one or the other, but it's possible to have that in our heads almost simultaneously. Well, how can that be? It was in the past. It doesn't exist. But clearly the memory of it exists. And there are people who want us to go live in this mythical past. That that the, we we get into the social political that, that that oh it was better back then what what does back then mean which then are you talking about and what do you mean by better and and better for whom and for which group and so because that and and nobody wants to talk about that because that is implies the the complexity of of a a, a lived duration even of an hour take an hour from nineteen fifty. For some people, it was the pinnacle of human development. Women were where they were supposed to be. Men were where they were supposed to be. Everybody knew who they were supposed to be. No, we weren't perfect in 1950. You look at the records, we know better than that. And McCarthy was about to happen, any kind of number of things. But an hour for, for person A is not the same hour lived 
for person B in a slightly different part of the country or a different socioeconomic class and so on and so on. So we claim things for the past that just are too ridiculously superficial. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, there's a lot in there. So, Bert, you know, Russell was sort of um, sort of a reconceptualization of the internalist viewpoint, right? And which we can talk about in modern physics as being the steady state universe, mm -hmm. right? So the past and the present and the future all currently exist and they all exist eternally. We're just on a point in the timeline. Our brain, for whatever reason, needs to interpret things moment by moment, and that moment is the present. So the past does objectively exist. It is still out there. It's not something that has passed on, mm -hmm. right? It It is a present at a different place, you know? Um, and, and even etymologically, the word past comes from P-A-S-S-E-D. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, and, and, and so... It, and and then in the 14th century, it's it's it starts to be interpreted as it's done with, over, existing no more. It's still a variant of past p a s s e d. It passed us as if it were moving. And so we <clears throat> all the way through these these centuries, we've had this idea of a past uh, experience, a past state of mind, a past event, but. But we talk about it as if it still exists, hmm. and people. What, what do we? People get counseled to not live in the past, <clears throat> or you're stuck in the past. How can that be? Hmm. Oh, am I reliving a terrible experience? And is it obsessively uh, taking over everything that I would do now because I just keep rethinking what happened? Okay, that would be stuck in the past, but. Uh, Wait, <laughs> right? It's, so just you slow that down enough, you say, okay, then you're acknowledging that you can be in two places at once. Yeah, yeah. All right, all right. So you, we've we've set <laughs> we've set some of the uh, foundations, and now we're getting into a lot of the interesting questions. But the equations of general relativity work forward and backward in time. Mm. Do you think that that's just a quirk of the mathematics? <clears throat> no, I think that relativity is taught us you know i'm a pretty lunky lunkhead kind of guy but it's taught me some things and it, it, it as little as i understand about it and it makes sense to me because we we unless we have amnesia we try as we might we can't divorce ourselves from the things that we remember about ourselves you know we were talking about that this morning that there are formative events that because we recall them they come up through our hypothalamus and they get colored a different way those events probably didn't happen exactly that way at all oh there may be a, there's a kernel it's like mythology mm. there may be a kernel of in the folklore of ourselves that that is true but somehow it has shaped us so what we are now is partly because of what we want to be partly because of what we used to be mm. And I think that keeps oscillating. Yeah, it's interesting because it raises not just um, ontological mm. questions, but metaphysical questions, right? And especially ones relating to time travel, right? Mm. Um, so why don't we talk about that a little bit? What are some what are some issues with 
time traveling to the past. Well, there, there, <laughs> lots of physicists have lots of opinions about this, and some are adamant that it's just a goofy notion that it can't possibly happen. Uh, sometimes for the very most basic reasons, because literally the past is behind us, because the planet is moving at thousands of miles an hour <laughs> through space, and the galaxy is moving, and and what happened years ago is an impossible distance in space behind us. So there's, the Earth was not is not there anymore. Mm. So if we were going back to the past, we couldn't get there because the Earth is here now. <laughs> yeah, it's almost like there's too many calculations to figure out. It's not just well, where is the sun around the Earth's or, or where was the Earth around the sun's orbit? Right. No, well, you have to think about where the sun was around the galactic orbit, and where the gal galaxy was around the galactic cluster, and and how dark energy was spreading out the the very fabric right. of space. And there's too many things to figure out. So there. it's cool that Tony Stark figured this out in, in Avengers Endgame, and <laughs> right. <laughs> but they, but I still remember that there was a goofy scene. But when they were talking about time travel. And, and can you go to the past? I remember Ant-Man getting really upset because it was different than than Back to the Future <laughs> with Marty McFly. And it, it, it was just a nice little run through all the little science fiction. Uh, but because, So there are a lot of physicists who say that's just a, a fantasy. But it, it, it makes for a fine story. Mm. Um, but, then there were, but even if we could, then there are other rules. Uh, the, some of which have become tropish because they're so a lot of people know them by heart now. But but w you couldn't occupy the same space as your previous self because of there would be an explosion. I mean, if you t if you touch your previous self, so the anti protons <laughs> and protons or antimatter uh, would would decimate everything. Well, we don't know that. That's a, it's 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 hypothetical, but but also then you think about well, the stuff that made me, the material that I am made of, wasn't there yet. <laughs> it, yeah, it was so in how, something else. It was in something else. So how could I be there when the material couldn't exist yet? Mm. So it's another paradox. There's so many paradoxes in the idea of time. Yeah, and I think that probably uh, of probably the most of the past. Probably the most famous one, right, that everybody wants to talk about is the grandfather paradox, right? Where yeah, you, yeah. Well, let's say I go back in, in time and I get the crazy notion that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kill my grandparents, right? <laughs> well, then, you know, technically, my parents couldn't be born, and so I couldn't be born, right? But here I am. Here I am in my present visiting the past. So what would happen? Would I, would I blink out of existence or... Am I visiting some alternative past that isn't actually my past? And I think that that is, right, when we start to sum together the things we've been talking about, right, the, with the first issue, you know, all of the calculations because, you know, the past is not just removed from us in time, but it's removed from us in space by an incalculable number of, of various systems. Mm -hmm. I think that that's mirrored in our physicality, right? You know, if you if you suck all the water out of your body, you're you're made up of a bunch of different metals and minerals and things. And all of those metals and minerals come from a variety of different sources. Yeah. And and it's not like they're static throughout your life. 
you eat to replenish them, right? And then they slough off on your skin and through your waist and, and your other epi- different things. Epidermis goes right. So what we see is it sort of does go back to Zeno's paradox, right? Where much like time has a flow, and like Heraclitus says, right, you can't stand in the same river twice. You know, much as time has that flow, and there's there's no discrete interval of time, and there's no discrete interval of of river. You know, you can say water, but not river. <laughs> there's no real discrete interval of self or of us. There's the duration idea, again. right? The- when we when we've talked about the ship of Theseus before, there, this has to do with the past too. Am I the same? People can say, "Well, you've changed. You aren't the same person." You well, good. Thank you. I'm glad. Yeah, I grew up. Uh, <laughs> but but sometimes that's used in a derogatory fashion, as if change is a bad thing, hmm. uh, as if we've changed for the worse, or we've we're unrecognizable or so is it, have, is it such an inconsistency i think probably not there's some consistency but if we look at our own lives as best we can in our past um whether we kept a diary or journal or or uh, we have letters or you know all the historical kind of things writ small in, in our life or a box of photographs i find it almost gruesome onerous heavy to to go through a box of photographs mm-hmm. you're supposed to like these things i've taken enough of them in my life and not all that i love to see my loved ones but but i but i look at them and i'm saying wait 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 i don't remember this or what's the con what's the context of this picture or who was that and and it just burdens one to say oh okay so you don't have all of that in your head well do i need all of that in my head Right. That's where I get to be presentist. Yeah. And so with the ship of Theseus, right, I think that in this philosophical thought experiment, right, people are are too narrowly focused on the ship, right? So you have the ship. Okay, you replace the board. Well, it's still the same ship. Well, let's extend it a little bit, right? Let's say you have the ship of Theseus. And then let's say we build the exact same ship and put it next to it. Right? <laughs> and all the way down, let's say even all of the wood grain on every board is the same and every nail Yep. Is the same. Everything is exactly the same. Well, is that the ship of Theseus? Well, no, because the first one is. Well, what separates the two? It's just the name, right? It would be the same thing here, right? What if, what if by by mere chance, right? Let's say human humankind spreads throughout the solar system and then throughout the universe, and then there's quadrillions of us, right? Mm-hmm. And by some chance, there is a being born that has one hundred percent of the DNA that I have. And by some fluke, he's raised in the exact same environment that I am. And of course, we see these play out in physics scenarios that have infinities in them, right? right. Whether it's an in, in infinite number of universes or, or a single universe that's infinitely large, right? You travel far enough, you find yourself again doing these, the same thing. Well, is that me? Well, no, that's not me because I'm me. Well, what makes you you and not him you? It's just the designation, right? It's it, really it, it is, and a, and the cluster of experiences that you've had. There's a science fiction novel that I read recently, and I, I, I will labor to think of the title because we talked about it in the book group library months ago. And the writer is at at, at RIT in Rochester. He's a, he's a teacher, but it's um, 
Oh, it's um, it's got a person's name and then seven. Mm. Uh, oh, anyway, but it's it's a person's name and then the word seven because he's a clone. He's volunteered to do dangerous in this a future in which if you volunteer to do very dangerous duty, you get paid, but you you're going to die. Uh, likely, and and so then you are reconstituted in within a, a day, and you're back. So you're you're Harvey five, Harvey six, Harvey so whatever, whatever. And and there's a, a problem because one guy they thought he the man they thought he was dead, but he actually didn't die. He finds his way back to base, but there's already another one of him. Hmm who has some of his same characteristics certainly looks like him and sounds like him mostly but but because because in a clone the memories are uploaded before the clone comes out so you have all the memories of the previous but the the, the man in the book had uh, been a little uh, lazy and not uploaded the past six weeks of his experience and that six weeks and this is what's the really interesting thought uh, experiment is that six weeks fundamentally changed his character enough that he didn't like himself Hmm. the self that was six weeks younger than him but made after him yeah (laughs) and 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 i thought it was a marvelous conceit because we think we know ourselves and yet one event um one uh, one eddy down the river of time um, and we can have some fundamental things alter in us. Yeah, yeah, and I think that that example and the the second ship of Theseus example sort of demonstrate the problems with time travel to the past, right? Because if you, well, I mean, as long as you're time traveling to the past in which you already exist, right? Yes. But even more so, like we were talking about, the constituent elements you are made out of um existed in the universe somewhere previously so even if you traveled into the past to a place that you did not exist everything that made you up would already be there in some form and so you'd have a second ship of theseus or you'd have a second character right and what how does that work? And, you know, and that that creates a lot of the problem. Mickey Seven is the name of the book. Ah, okay. Uh, Edward Ashton is the writer. Mickey Seven. It's a good read, but it yeah. So research shows that as our past increases, time seems to hasten. Do you think this perception is fundamental to any mortal being? Well, I can't speak for everybody, but it's certainly <laughs> it's certainly my experience of it having just turned 66 um and i think it's partly the cruel of all of those things all of the experiences one has had <clears throat> and there's a sense of mortality of course because you know the story ends eventually um, and then statistically and knowing the probability of the human longevity it's it's there it's not something you dwell on but it's you, you find yourself saying it's already February third. I mean, what? What? <laughs> we just had New Year. Uh, I think that happens to lots of people, and I and I think people perpetuate this. You talk to people in a coffee shop or somewhere, and they'll say, "Man, man, it's just going by so fast, isn't it?" People of all ages. Well, 
yes, but but it, what's going by? We're living it. It's not like it's <clears throat> this idea of the the future things things coming out of the future zipping by suddenly they're in the spotlight of our current life and then they fall into the shadows of the past what we're just standing around spectating no we're we're in the thick of it uh and so i this is why i find that the idea of time as a river doesn't really work for me it's a beautiful poetic notion and i love heraclitus and it's but i, I it's too separate Mm. Uh, I, we, we, time is part of us. Yeah, yeah. You know, because a racist that you know we were talking about constituent elements of space. Um, and what's interesting, right? Rovelli doesn't really allude to that. But if space and time is a continuum, they're constituent elements of space. Are those also constituent elements of time? Hmm. And if that is the case, right? We we live in space we are part of space so yes we live in time and are part of time his right? previous book um uh, he he was referring to it the diagrams he sometimes says uh, of of bubbles uh, uh in which we live and sometimes we use that as a der derogatory term that person's living in a bubble but in this case so what happens in the same five minutes um is not of equal duration hmm. in one's experience so really we are outside of each other's own time <laughs> and we're experiencing time at, at different rates at any given moment so for him it's like oh yeah there's lots of different time yeah and he says something in white holes that really blew my mind which he was talking about yeah if you if you could do the math you'd find that dropping a rock and the rock hitting the ground the rock wasn't just traveling through space to hit the ground, the rock was traveling through time. Mm -hmm. When mm -hmm. you think about it that way, then it does start to make sense, right? That that each one of us does have not just a subjectively different timeline, but an objectively different timeline because our conscious perceptions are in different locations, right? Mm -hmm. So that's why that's why I asked the question, right? Do you think that the mortality and that you know as we go through life? whether it's us or our cat or an elephant or a, a greenland whale you know shark or whatever creature it may be a fruit fly you know whatever the duration of the lifespan is do you think the time always speeds up the further you get down the road and the more you have behind you right i think or do you think that some of these things are ha only have access to the present in terms of their i think that that the best of, of spiritual tradition um, uh, attempts to teach us, and you know this in your own practice, I know it from, from, from mine, I experience this not continuously because I, you know, one doesn't achieve perfection, um, that meditating can slow things down. And if you just stop and think, it's just, oh yeah, yeah, I get that, no, but wait a minute. <laughs> meditation slows down the duration of a moment so time is manipulable by our minds at least perceptionally or perceptively and and 
does that mean we really slowed the clock down? No, but I don't, the clock is, the clock is almost meaningless to me. I really wish that the clock hadn't been invented. I think we would have been a much better species had we not done that so that the trains could supposedly arrive at the same time everywhere. I think that was a great damage done to all of us. Because, and, and so this is, now I'm getting nostalgic. I just wish we could go back to the past. Mm -hmm. No, I do not. I do not want to live in the 1950s or the 1050s. <laughs> but that one invention that itself couldn't be discrete from all the other processes that were taking place, um, I think did us damage. I don't think it was the printing press. I don't think it was the, the locomotive uh, as uh, in itself, although one can look at all the environmental damage from coal, but but the the idea of tick-tock, tick-tock, that if you have a loud clock or something on your hand all the time, yeah. or your, your, your wrist, I think that can affect you. There's an awareness, right? And trying to put yourself in, in the the mindset of people before clocks, right? And what was that like? You know, it it really does. You 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 realize there's a sudden awareness of time once you start being able to measure it in that mm -hmm. that kind of way. And so, yeah, what? How do we? You know, how do we view that? Right. So mortality, right? As we go farther along in life, time seems to seems to stretch or go faster. Mm. And so, when we think about, well, is this the same for animals? Right. And we go, well, who, who knows? Yeah, it's impossible to know. We know that they can learn, so therefore they have some access to the past. But is it a reflective view of the past, or is it just a present informed by an unconscious learning process? Um, like with cats. Right. And so, <laughs> and so then you talked about meditation, right? And how yeah. meditation slows down time. And this is being taken seriously in scientific circles now um, with psychologists looking at, at expert meditators under fMRI and, and EKG, you know, EGT and stuff, and trying to figure out why some of that is, right? And what, what they're discovering is that the way you slow down time is by, by focusing on one thing, right? Hmm. Is by being in the moment. The moment, right? And so I think there's a lot of misconceptions about what that means. And so in an episode about the past, a lot of people might be going, oh, well, that sounds very much like it should be in the next episode about the present. And it will be. And, and it will be. Yeah. But being in the moment, whatever the moment may be, you can be in the past in the moment. Right, and I'm discovering this, yes, you know, in, you in some ways that I feel like I'm accessing experiences now that I haven't felt since I was a child. Right, and so it's not the same thing as what I was experiencing back then, but the lens through which I'm experiencing it is very similar because all of that stuff that, as an adult, you're thinking about all the things that are going on underneath the hood, all of the things that are on the back burner, all of the bags <laughs> that you're carrying along with you. If even momentarily you can drop all of those things, you can turn off all the burners, you can empty out the trunk for just a second and really experience something in a moment, mm -hmm. it is this 
childlike experience and and not childlike in in a in an immature way but childlike in a way is you're viewing something as it is in a way that you 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 don't have a glimpse into after the invention of the clock after the invention of the smartphone after mm -hmm. the things that have happened in your subjective past and the longer that past drags on the more of that you have and the harder it is to leave it behind in the moment that you're in yeah um yeah this is what I, say, I this i think what makes makes me more of an eternalist than a, a presentist oddly because we're talking <laughs> about being in the present moment but um the past is very important to me it's not important as something as 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 a as an object of reverence as a museum piece it's all the there are marvelous things about museums of course but i but as a person um to not ponder the past my individual past but also continue learning about the past of our our culture past of the planets the geological you know, it, it's it's wondrous it's fascinating it, it's mind-opening something then can change us now it's not locked there it can affect us so that's that's where this real relationalism happens again i can be in uh, uh okay you used a phrase earlier uh, before we started today um related to uh, what amanda did related to, uh, to um, the faith terminology uh the in of the world and not in the world or in the world and not of the world. yeah in and not of. all right those two prepositions you can be of the past without trying to be in the past uh, and and being of the past is to to learn from the past one's own one's culture one's planet and thus improve oneself currently no matter what happens in the future but so we're talking about past today and i think that the past is deeply um anchoring if if it was uh, and maybe not anchor is not the right the, the right word the past is a set of buoys put in very rough waters to warn us of possible dangers the the, the past is uh, a set of of markers to say stop and breathe and think about this is the, the historical markers Stop for a moment and think about what happened in this town a hundred years ago, which is what markers ask us to do. Hope the hope is to to spur our spur our curiosity about more things. We 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 can't live in the past because it's not there, but we can be of the essence of what we remember, um, and and try to help ourselves remember more to, to figure out why we are as we are today. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think that that was that's really well said and it you know it raises you know we've we're, we're drawing to a close at the end of the episode and and much like we always do you we find ourselves with more questions, right, than mm -hmm. than we started and and realizing that 
the concept is much more complex and nuanced than we would have thought when we began talking about it. But I think at its heart, right, you does have this paradoxical nature that is sort of encapsulated in a Zen type of way where you go, you know, you can't give the past too much importance by neglecting the present. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, you need to have the past in order to inform how you're going to process your future. There is a, <clears throat> forgive me for this, but there is a, a, a quotation from Star Trek. A, a very bad Star Trek movie <laughs> for the most part, Star Trek V with Shatner and the whole crew, but it, but the, it had its moments. And and there's a there's a person who's uh, effect, uh, seemingly able to uh, rogue Vulcan uh, take away your pain from your mind, uh, from your past experiences, and they're they're visiting past moments in there. We see it visualized. That they want to get rid of it. it; hurts too much, and he goes to Kirk and Kirk pushes his hands away and says, I don't want you to take away my pain. I need my pain. And we could argue about that for hours from a psychological viewpoint, but, but it suggests that the past can be painful. It can be joyous. We need those little impellers. <laughs> they're impellers. They're, they're pellets of, of power that yeah pop for us yeah and this goes back to i think the altering of memory with recollections right because mm. that that you know vignette there demonstrates all of the possible potential and pitfall of the past right because if you have a captain kirk or a batman right who has all this pain in their past if they let that control them right then it's it's a negative thing Absolutely. and the more they pull up those memories and recall them the more negative it becomes at the same time if you were to take those painful memories and strip them of all their teeth right then it doesn't inform you in what kind of person you should be right. but the way that it plays out in the human experience the way that it should play out the way that that biology has is sort of designed it to play out right is that you have a painful experience and it sticks with you initially right and that modifies your behavior and it modifies your thought patterns but over time it changes it is not a static thing it's not a permanent thing it's right. something that is that is malleable and the past travels through time the same way that the present and the future and that we travel uh, through time. Well said. So until next time. <laughs>